All right. Well, hey, good morning, Grace Point. It's great to be here with you again, and I'm, I'm just excited to be here. If you've got your Bibles today, I'd like to invite you to turn with me to the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes. You don't hear that a lot in church, but I'm excited about that. Ecclesiastes, if you don't have your Bible, if you're kind of new to the Bible, the words will be up on the screen as well. And as you heard, my name is Josh McNall, and I am a college professor. I teach at a place called Oklahoma Wesleyan University, which is down in uh, a town called Bartlesville, Oklahoma. Your, your pastor, Tim Hughes, went to Oklahoma, Oklahoma Wesleyan uh, a million years ago, uh, as well as myself. And uh, so I'm repping my colors today, Oklahoma Wesleyan. This is not going to be a commercial for my university, I promise, Pastor Tim, that. But I need to say, uh, I'm passionate about what I do. I'm passionate about teaching college students about Jesus and preparing them for life and for ministry. And so our mission is kind of this idea that instead of going off to college to lose your faith, what if you went to a place that strengthened your faith and prepared you to go out to, to be one who is sent into the world for Christ? And so if you've got high school students, if you are a high school student or a grandparent or a parent of one, I'd love to talk with you afterwards. We're doing a, a lunch event today later to, to talk about the university, but that's the end of the commercial. So we'll get going with the, with the message today. I say this every time I come here, coming to Topeka feels like coming home because I was married literally right in this spot. I'm less nervous now than I was I also have less hair now than I had then. I was married in this spot. I interned at this church alongside Pastor Tim. My first job was on 21st Street here in Topeka, near Topeka Boulevard at the Sonic Drive-In where I was a car hop. No roller, state, no roller skates. Uh, people always ask me that. And I grew up just down the road in a little town called Carbondale, Kansas. And so I was driving up here yesterday with my six-year-old son, Ewan, who looks exactly like me. And I was like, man, this brings back memories. And probably you've had a similar experience where you come to a place where you had spent a lot of time maybe years ago and the memories kind of come back, good memories, hard memories, but they, they come flooding back. And one of the things that struck me yesterday, even as I was driving, was like the music that I used to listen to as I drove that same highway uh, in high school and in, you know, junior high and, and things like that. One of the things I love about music is that there is a genre of music for every mood and personality type. It doesn't matter who you are or what. There's a genre of music for every mood and personality type. And so if you're in like a sophisticated mood and you want to feel smart, maybe you pop on the, the classical music. If you're into passion and romance You've got R&B. Back when I was in high school, bands like uh, Boys to Men with a Z for the boys. Maybe now it's something else. John Legend, Usher. If you want to sing about Jesus, there's Christian music. There's even Christian rock and Christian rap. If you're into trucks and guns and twang in America, there's country music. If you're into lyrics that tell a story, there's folk music. If you want to hear about money and cars and coming up from the bottom and then achieving something, there's rap music. And then there was the type of music that, for whatever reason, I got into in, around high school. And this didn't seem to really fit me because I was like a pastor's kid, straight-laced. But it was called at the time grunge music. Does anybody remember grunge music? I wore my flannel for grunge music. It's a different kind of flannel, but... 
And then it kind of shifted to what they called alternative rock. And when I grew up, there was even a station in Topeka, I don't even know if it still exists, was called 105.9 The Laser. And it was grunge and alternative rock. It was bands like Nirvana and Pearl Jam and Stone Temple Pilots and the Smashing Pumpkins. And it was not happy. It was not particularly enamored with romance or patriotism or anything like that. It was actually a little bit dark and depressing. And the fundamental mood of this music was somebody who had seen the world for what it actually is, was kind of tired of the spin, and they were in a single word, if you had to sum up the genre, disillusioned. A little disillusioned with the spin, with the world itself. Here we are now, entertain us, in the words of Kurt Cobain. And for whatever reason, as a pastor's kid, straight lace, straight A's, that kind of like, I'm like, yes, that, that's true. There's something in me that like gravitated to that. And the book of Ecclesiastes sounds a bit like that. When you read the book of Ecclesiastes, like, it's like, is this in the Bible? Like, he, say, he starts out meaningless, meaningless. Everything is meaningless. It sounds like the gospel according to Kurt Cobain. Which raises the question, why are you doing a sermon series on this, this book of the Bible? It sounds kind of dark and disillusioned. But there's a truth in Ecclesiastes, and it connects in some ways to this genre of music, that until you become disillusioned with some of the things of this world, you will never long for something more. Until you become a little bit disillusioned with the trinkets and the things that this world tells you will fill you up, whether it's money or chasing after fame, until you become a little bit disillusioned with that false view of what really matters, you won't long for something more. Until you're awakened to the problems and the paradoxes and the spin that people give us, you, you won't feel the sweetness of the solution that is Jesus. And so that's part of the reason I'm excited to speak about Ecclesiastes. And so there's a real quick review in this series if you haven't been here in previous weeks. In week one, you heard about how life is, is fleeting. It's like vapor. It's short. In week two, you talked about how Mick Jagger was right, that real satisfaction can be hard to come by. In week three, you talked about how life can be monotonous or boring at times, sunrise, sunset. And then in week four, you heard about how injustice is rampant, and yet God calls us to do something about that injustice. And so that, talk, that brings us to the, the, the thing I want to talk about today, and that is the ache of loneliness and the deep need we have for community. And if you've got your Bibles, Ecclesiastes chapter 4, beginning in verse 7, I'll read this, and the words will be up on the screen. It says this, almost 3,000 years ago, the writer says, Again, I saw something meaningless under the sun. There was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother, and there was no end to his toil. Yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. For whom am I toiling, he asked, and why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This too is meaningless, a miserable business. Two are better than one, 
because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up, but pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. And then it says this, a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. This is God's word. We're going to unpack this passage a little bit today and talk about some of the the things that the writer is getting at. But one of the problems I think that you see in the passage, the problems that the passage reveals rather, is this paradox that's true I think for all of us at some level. And that is as human beings, we simultaneously long for and run from community. They're both true. I mean, it seems like a contradiction. We want community. We want deep relationships. We want people who know us. And we also kind of like run from that because it can be scary and uncomfortable. It feels vulnerable. And this is true not just for other people. This is totally true for me. I am a self-professed introvert. I like to tell people I was born with my hands in my pockets. I'm just not... I'm not like an extroverted person, yet I have this weird job where I get in front of relatively large groups of people and talk to them <laughs> and go travel and like connect with people for my, for my work. And, and there's this part of me that deeply desires that connection and that part of me, it's like, this is kind of scary. I put the earbuds in, put the hands in the pocket, disappear. We simultaneously long for community and we run from it. And you can see that even if you analyze your own life, I think. Some of your relationships, not to get into your relationship problems, but some of our challenges in relationships is that we we want relationship, we want communion, connection, and yet it's scary. And so we turn away from relationships in certain points because of that, because of that paradox. One of the movies I I liked several years ago is called Into the Wild. It was based on a book by John Krakauer about a guy named Christopher McCandless who went up to Alaska to get away. Ultra introvert. And as he dies in Alaska, kind of a sad movie, dies in a bus, he scratches out these words, happiness is only real if it's shared. We need relationship. Jim Carrey has the famous quote where he says, I wish everybody could become rich and famous so they realize that it's not the answer. The trinkets, the things that this world tells you will give you fulfillment, they won't. So there's a blessing in some of the disillusionment we see in Ecclesiastes because what it tells us is that these things that we place on ultimate significance in our lives, these idols, They won't satisfy us. And it's when you become disillusioned with your idols that you're open to the things of God. And so that brings me to the first kind of observation in this passage, and that is that all the work and wealth in this world are meaningless. They're like vapor apart from genuine community all the work and all the wealth in this world. The writer says this, if you look back at verse seven in the passage, he says, again, I saw something meaningless under the sun. There was a man all alone and he had neither son nor brother and there was no end to his toil and yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. 
he has work, he has wealth, and he says it's, it's not enough to make me happy. All the work and the wealth in this world are not enough. To be honest, that's one of the reasons why I, I work where I work. There's lots of places you can get a degree. There's lots of places that can prepare you to make money, and, and we do that as well. But what we're saying at my university, at a Christian university, is that's not enough to just get a degree, to just get a job. The writer of Ecclesiastes says, there was no end to the toil, and my eyes were not content with my wealth. And so what that brings us to is this truth in the passage, and I think the truth, you could sum it up, it's really simple. You were created for relationship. You were created for relationship. Every terrorist organization in the world uses isolation to break people's spirits. We've seen over the past 12 months how isolation can break people's spirits. This, this difficulty of having to weather a pandemic and be separated, especially from like elderly family members and things like that, isolation can be crushing. There's a reason why the worst punishment you can get in prison in many cases is solitary confinement. You were created to live in relationship. You were created in the image of a God who is relationship. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit bound together in holy love. You were created for relationships. Those relationships can save your life when you need them. I love this passage in the Gospels where Jesus is teaching in a house and it's crowded. There is no social distancing in this house. It's packed. And these men bring their friend who's paralyzed and he can't walk and he wants Jesus to heal him. But since he's paralyzed, they have to carry him on a stretcher and they can't get into the house because it's packed. And so what do his friends do? They begin to rip the thatch off of the roof and they lower this guy down through the roof. And Jesus says this, this amazing thing. It says, when he saw the faith of the man's friends, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. And that like problematizes some of our views of faith and forgiveness, right? Because we're like, well, wait, wait. He didn't say when he saw the dude on the mat's faith. It said when he saw the faith of the man's friends. You need someone to believe for you, even when you can't believe for yourself. Belief is essential. Your faith is something that God asks for, your trust in him, but you also need people who can have faith for you and with you and beside you because you were created for relationship. That was what God created you for. And a hard truth about the church, if we're really honest, is we don't always do as well at true community in the church as even do sinful organizations. The church doesn't always do as well at fostering deep, deep bonds of community as even secular organizations. Russell Moore writes this in one of his, one of his books on family. 
the church, his family. And he says, one of my former students who came to Christ after years in a street gang tells me, he says he's happy to give up the violence and the drugs, but he misses every day the deep community that he had in that gang. He tells me he misses that community and that sense of belonging that came with his gang membership. I am not encouraging you by just FYI to join a gang. That's not how this my big idea, join a gang. Not that that's not the big idea. Russell Moore writes, he says, I've heard the same from those who have come to Christ out of everything from the pornography industry to the Ku Klux Klan. They do not for a second, he says, miss the sin but they've found no comparable sense of camaraderie or belonging. The church has to do better in providing a family for people who need relationship. We have to do better. How did this happen? There's lots of reasons. It's hard to live in relationship. People like hold you accountable and stuff. That's not fun. A.J. Swoboda is an author and he... he writes a book called After Doubts, and he talks about the need for community in the church, and he says, we've told people this phrase, which is true. The phrase is, you don't go to church, you are the church. You probably heard that phrase, right? It's true. But the problem is, if that's the only thing we say, then people are like, okay, why would I go to church then? I am the church. And he says, in fact, it's because you are the church that we need to gather as a community, not just on Sunday mornings, online, on ground. It's because we are the church that we need to gather as a community. But the reality is that the kind of relationships that God desires for us, the kind of relationships that God desires for you will cost you something. They're, they're costly relationships. And in some cases, that relationship becoming just enmeshed in a real community, whether that's a small group, whether that's a, a recovery group uh, in the church or elsewhere, it'll cost you some comfort because community by its very nature is uncomfortable. It'll cost you some of your comfort. Uh, the loneliness needs healed, but it will mean moving into something that might be a little bit out of your comfort zone. It'll cost you, in some cases, what you might call your freedom. And I don't mean like the true, deep freedom that is offered through Christ, but I mean the freedom that we define as just no responsibilities. Not really, I don't really have to do anything to, to, to be enmeshed in communion or relationships will cost you, in some cases, what you term your your freedom. And so I have an illustration about this, and it's an illustration that I call my three circles. And I think we have that up on the, the screen, and I get this from a guy named Mark Sayers. He says, these three circles are what every human being on the planet needs in order to be fulfilled. You need meaning in your life, some purpose larger than yourself, some transcendent meaning. You need Freedom. None of us want to be just you know, forced to do something or ordered around like a slave or, or confined or something like that. You need freedom and you need community. These three circles. But the catch is anytime you 
enlarge one of those circles to like gargantuan size, it often has the effect of shrinking one of the other circles. And, and I'll tell you just kind of how this works for me because I have four little kids, four kids. And man, being a dad gives me meaning. I love being a dad. It gives me community. Like during the height of the pandemic, a little over a year, a little less than a year ago, when some of my single friends were like, I need to see someone. And I'm like, I am drowning in someone's. My children are crawling over me. They're like ferrets. And they're, they're like, it gives me meaning to be a dad. It gives me relationship. Even in the height of the pandemic, I had relationship. But man, does it shrink in certain ways the freedom circle. I just can't watch, you know, even in the pandemic, die hard for the 17th time at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. I can't just go and do whatever I want. Or it shrinks the freedom circle. And so we need all three of the circles, meaning, freedom, and community. But... When we enlarge one, it has, the, it has a certain effect upon the others. And so the point of this passage in Ecclesiastes, when the writer says, listen, 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 two are better than one. And then he gives reasons why. If one of you falls down, the other can help you up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. If two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how will anyone keep warm alone. And that's true of way more than just tripping in what we used to call three dog night, cold weather, right? Where it takes like three of your dogs to keep you warm. You need relationship. It will cost you something though. But ultimately at the end of the day, at the end of this passage as well, the, 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 the big idea of this text is the benefit of belonging is worth far more than the cost. The benefit of being enmeshed in godly Christian relationships, what we call discipleship or what we call community in the church, the benefit is worth the cost. And so if I could just tell you one thing to keep, to keep this message simple and short, my request would be, would you be willing to pay that cost to move into deeper relationships? Maybe deeper relationships in the body of Christ. Some of you are here today and you're like, you know what, I just, I don't know, somebody invited me and I'm like, this Jesus thing is completely foreign. And the next step for you is to say yes to the relationship with Jesus. Two are better than one. You need that relationship. You need to say yes to Jesus, even if you don't entirely know what that means yet. For some of you, it's not just saying yes to Jesus, it's reconnecting with the community of faith, with the body of Christ. There's a little card on the, the paper, or the bulletin that you got when you came in that, that basically says, I would like to, and then it says some, some options. I would like to connect better or deeper with this church. I'd like to find out some more about it. That's, that's part of the application from Ecclesiastes that we need to move into deeper relationship because two is better than one. Three is better than two. And being surrounded by people who care about you and care about your walk with Christ is, is best of all. 
You were created for relationship. Even, I would say especially now, as we're moving, God willing, out of this crazy season of pandemic, habits, routines have been changed, even for my family. I have two sons with asthma. We've changed a lot of routines. And now as we're moving out of this season, we're like, we need to reconnect. We need to begin to reconnect with the body of Christ and with, with other forms of communion. And so I want to end today exactly where I started by talking about music. Uh, I was a worship pastor for a, for a while at this church, uh, and I'm not going to sing for you. I'm a little out of practice. But uh, there's, a, there's an artist, I'm, his name is Ryan Adams, and he, he sings a song called Two, T-W-O. And it sounds, when I heard it, I was like, oh, that's a song about addiction. It's not a happy song. He says, it takes two where it used to take one. This is kind of a disillusioned song. It's about addiction. It's about drinking. It takes two when it used to take one. And I had this this lovely friend named Annie, and her husband named Ryan, and they, they got married a few years ago and went to their wedding. And what song did they choose for their wedding song? their first dance together. It takes two when it used to take one. I lied about not singing, sorry. It takes two when it used to take only one. And I thought, what a weird song to choose for your first dance. Disillusioned drinking song. And they said, that's, that's not what it's about. It's a love song. And I'm here to tell you that's exactly the case with Ecclesiastes chapter 4. It takes two and it used to take one. It's a love song. It's about the bride of Christ. You are the bride of Christ. And you were made for relationship. Let's pray. God, Thank you for this community who is willing to walk through even a a hard book of the Bible like Ecclesiastes because they believe, as I do, that you speak to us through the Bible, even ancient, hard passages. And so I pray for my friends here in Topeka today, especially as we move out of this season of social distancing and pandemic and isolation, that they would seek relationship relationship with family members who maybe been estranged or cut off, relationship with children, relationship with each other, reconnecting as a church, the body of Christ, and most importantly, relationship with you. Lord, we claim this truth in Ecclesiastes, the two are better than one, three are better than two. And to be surrounded is is best of all. And so it's in the name of Jesus that we pray, that we celebrate what he's done to love us, to give himself for each and every one of us. And we say, amen. Amen. You were dismissed. Have a fantastic week.